0: last week, we looked at the first part of Galatians chapter 3, and the main point of that whole portion was was Paul explaining that if we try and live by the law, we are setting ourselves up for failure. That those that try and live by the law, in in Galatians 3, it says that that those that try to live by the law are Cursed. Paul points out that that is why Jesus came, because Jesus had to remove the curse. Because God wanted to remove the curse of following the law and give us that what we really needed, and that was a relationship with the Messiah. It was access to a loving Father. This morning we are looking at the second half of Galatians chapter 3, where Paul is explaining the idea he made that we talked about last week. And the idea is that the law was a placeholder until Jesus came. And he does that by giving an illustration from their circumstances and also from examples from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, or if you have your phone, or you have... Uh, underneath your your, your pew is a, is a Bible. You can just read along and we will pick up in Galatians chapter three verses fifteen to 29. It says, "Dear brothers and sisters, here is an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement. So it is in this case, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, and notice that the scripture doesn't say, to his children, as if that meant many descendants. Rather, it says, to his child. And of that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be a result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was a mediator between God and his people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now, the way, that way of faith has come, and we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one, one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I know, that was a lot, right? This chunk of scripture is so rich. It is an astounding treatise that Paul is giving. So here's three takeaways for us this morning from that scripture. Number one Abraham needed Jesus. Genesis seventeen seven. All right, this is this is what Paul is quoting here. And I will establish my covenant between me and and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, so that is what Paul is quoting in Galatians three fifteen through 17. Now, listen to it in a different translation. This is the English Standard Version. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but this is referring to one, and your offspring. And that is actually referring to Christ. Paul is explaining something really big here. Paul is explaining the Hebrew language to the church of Galatia. Paul, of course, was fluent. He was a, he was a Pharisee, right? Paul was fluent in Greek, Hebrew. He was fluid, fluent in Aramaic. Paul was a, was a scholar. He was a learned man. So sometimes I do a word study and share it with you all, right? This is the Greek word, this is the Hebrew word, and I pore over it and I, I read and I do, what the, you know, I do the work and I say, okay, well, here's what that word means and here's what it could mean, here's some examples. Paul does that on the fly because he's a really smart guy. Paul's doing that for the Galatians here in this letter. He's saying, listen, let me give you a little word study. It's this Hebrew word that Abraham quotes. He's pointing out the Hebrew there in Genesis isn't making a promise to Abraham and to all of Abraham's offspring after that, after Abraham. Instead, Abraham and the one important offspring that was to come. Anybody want to guess who that was? I'd say it's it's the most common answer that I'll ask in church. It's Jesus. So here was the promise. The promise was to Abraham and then to Jesus. It wasn't all the other people that came after Abraham and that came after Jesus. It was to Abraham and to Jesus. God was making a promise, a covenant with Abraham, that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, was going to come through his line, through his lineage. God's covenant to Abraham, his promise to Abraham, was that God would save the world through one of his offspring. And the word, is there's a very key word, I'm going to do a word study for you here. There's a key word that all of us should learn. And it's a Hebrew word, and it's a a word used there with Abraham, but it's also one of the most commonly used words Words in Hebrew used when talking about God making a promise. That Hebrew word is hesed. You guys want to say hesed? Anybody want to try? All right, hesed. Okay. It's a hard word for us. It's a hard word for the English language because hesed is most famously found in Exodus thirty-four six. You guys probably know this. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Hased is what we translate to covenant or to promise. It actually technically means loyal love, unfailing love, never going back on love. Hased is what we translate to covenant or promise. And what is tough is that in our culture. People break covenants all the time, don't they? Think about society today, right? Lots of covenants being broken, lots of promises being broken. So because of that, we don't think of the word said" or the the idea of a covenant as really that big of a deal. Because if you really want to get down to it, you just get a lawyer and the lawyer will make whatever covenant you said go away, right? We can do that with our marriages, we can do that with... Whatever it is, you any kind of contract, or we're just going to make it go away. So, yeah, we can, I mean, it's a contract, but we can get out of it. I may promise my kids that they can go swimming today. But then I look and I go, oh, it's raining. So now you can't go swimming today, right? But if that was God, if that was God, by golly, you'd be swimming today. <laughs> Somehow, he would change the weather, you would go get electrocuted, something. He is going, you're going swimming because he promised it, and when God promises something, when God makes you a covenant, when God enters into agreement with you, it will happen no matter what. It's going to happen. Because that's the kind of God we serve. That is not the idea of said. The word is used hundreds of times in the Bible, and it is a loving agreement that binds together. So here's the deal about Hased. Once an agreement is made, once a Hased is made, it cannot be edited. Hased is a covenant love, loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyal love, devotion commitment loyalty or reliability so you want a good example a couple Saturdays ago there was a couple in this church that got up here and it was it was a lot neater and cleaner than this and they committed chesed in front of I don't know how many people were there Pam a lot a lot of people and people online and in the internet world, right? Chesed is the idea of a covenant, a loving loyalty, always being faithful, always coming through. So here was God's chesed. And God tells Abraham, listen, no matter what your offspring do, no matter what they do, if they're wicked or not. Because we know about Abraham's offspring. Not all the, great, the greatest people in the world, right? There were some bad, bad eggs in that whole cart, right? Apples in that cart? Anyway. There were some bad, there were some bad eggs, right? But God, because he had chesed with Abraham even though he probably should have done away with that whole thing, what did he do? He sent Jesus. He kept his promise. I will keep my promise, God said. I will send Jesus. You guys want a couple other examples of Hasid? Here's one. Genesis chapter 315. Right? You guys know this one. And God told the snake, I will put enmity between you and man. And then he told, you know, this has said right? He told, he told Eve, you will have problems with childbirth. And guess what? It's been thousands and thousands of years, and we still have problems with childbirth, do we not? God is, God is true. He, he's saying what's going to happen. But then he said what? My favorite, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. And you, snake, you, snake, will bite the heel of my son. But that heel is going to come down and smash your head. And who is that talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Pretty easy answers today, church. Another one. Here's another chesed for us. God sent rain. Kind of like this week. God sent rain and rain and rain. And for 40 days and 40 nights, God sent rain. And the whole world flooded. And God chose one family to start over with. Right? And That family's name was... Not Jesus, it was Noah. And Noah and God had an agreement. They had a chesed after it was all over. And even God put it in the sky to remind us of that chesed. Anybody? I've seen pictures on your Facebook pages a rainbow. God put the rainbow in the sky to remind us that God was making a promise, an agreement, to never flood the earth again. said, God promised Abraham, I will change everything because of one of your descendants. So, Abraham's covenant with God is a model for us, for the world. Abraham, and when God called Abraham, he was a pagan. He was old and he was barren. God showed up in his old age by grace to reveal himself and invite Abraham into a relationship. The covenant head of that relationship was God. All of God's promises will come through Abraham's offspring, and that is singular, not plural. And God told Abraham, you need Jesus. And he says the same thing to you and to me and to everybody in the whole world. We need Jesus. Just like God's covenant with Abraham was irrevocable, Jesus has agreed to an irrevocable covenant with us. And that is that Jesus' love is never stopping, is never giving up, is unbreaking, is always and forever. Is that kind of love that Jesus has with us, for us, by us? Number two, Moses needed Jesus. This is what I was trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could be not be canceled 430 years later when God gave Moses to the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and his people. Listen, my best friend Adam got his first COVID vaccine. I, I, this isn't political, there's nothing, this, this is not anything, okay? I'm not trying to say right wrong, whatever. He got his first COVID vaccine, right? A week went by. Two weeks went by. Three weeks went by. You know, it's four weeks till you get your second COVID shot, right? Three weeks go by, his entire family gets COVID. And so... Adam's like, well, I got the first shot. I'm about to have the second shot. Like, I'm good, right? Nope. <laughs> Guess who had to go into quarantine just like everybody else? Adam did. Now, listen. Now, I want you to get this. Get this. All right? Moses and the law. Moses is the intermediary. Moses wrote the law 430 years after Abraham. But that did not replace Jesus Christ. Moses was that quarantining period that Adam had, that my friend Adam had, before the vaccination was in full effect. Does that make sense? The law, the law, right? The Ten Commandments, all the law, those were merely a placeholder Jesus came so what's a placeholder well when I write sermons just like I did this week I write out main points and I put words in to the body of my sermon as a placeholder to know I need to come back and I need to flesh something out I need to fix I need to, to talk about this more and so I'll put something in there just to know that I need to have a something here but it's not the word I put right It needs to be more than that. A placeholder. We have placeholders with politics. If somebody dies, or or more likely in Illinois, if some some politician gets arrested, (laughs) somebody will appoint a placeholder for that person to, to hold that spot until somebody else can get appointed. Perhaps some of you had a placeholder before you had a husband or a wife. You're like, eh, I'm pretty sure that this, is, this person I'm dating is not going to be the person I'm going to end up with, but they're a placeholder until I can find the true love, right? There's a, Heather and I watched at night when we were just, you know, before we go to bed or whatever, we just want them to watch something mindless. We watch the sh- Friends, right? We watch episodes, reruns of Friends. We watched it enough Where we, there's a couple times where you're like, like, if you pause it, you're like, that is not, you know, that is not Jennifer Aniston. Who is that person? And they come to find out that they have, sometimes they have placeholders in TV shows that accidentally get through. So a placeholder would be like, you know, Jennifer Aniston wasn't there that day, but they, they needed to work on this other person's dialogue, so they didn't matter. They show the back of somebody's head. Well, it's not really that person, right? But they're, di- they're still dialoguing, and so anyway, it's a placeholder. Moses and the law, they were placeholders. They were temporary fill ins till the real thing was in place. God promised Abraham, and then 400 years later, God gave the law to Moses. And Moses was a placeholder till the real thing would arrive. And Jesus came about 1,500 years later. Moses was a placeholder. So the law of Moses proves that everyone needs Jesus. The law of Moses revealed that God is perfect and that God is holy and that we're not. The law of Moses has revealed our sinfulness, The law of Moses reveals God's patience to the generation and to the nations. And God, the law of Moses kept God's people distinct and different till Jesus could come. So wait, are you saying that the law never saved anybody? Yep, that's what I'm saying. So, is everyone before Jesus then in hell? No. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. Listen, both Abraham and Moses are pointing toward a Messiah when God was going to save all of the world by sending Jesus. This is the one reason why why Galatians is so important. Because... That was the point that Paul was trying to make when he said in Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Also the point that he was trying to make in Romans 4.3 says, For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Until Jesus... Well, with Abraham, it wasn't the law that saved him because the law didn't exist until 400 years later. So what saved Abraham? Anybody? His faith. With Moses, it wasn't the law that saved him because the law was just a placeholder. What saved Moses? Faith. Obviously, Abraham and Moses were before Jesus came to earth, but in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear the Old Testament way of salvation was the same as the New Testament way, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. To prove this, Paul points us to Abraham, who was saved by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, Romans 4.3. Again, Paul quotes the Old Testament to prove his point. Genesis fifteen six. This time, Abraham could not have saved, been saved by keeping the law because he lived four hundred years before the law. Believing in Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves us. And if you were before Jesus, your belief and trust in God and your faith in God is what was counted to you as believing in Jesus. It's what made your account righteous. It's what made you set apart. Last point, quickly, and we'll be done. We all need Jesus. So how do we get set apart now? If righteousness being set apart is what it takes to be with God, to have access to him, how do we become righteous? Well, Galatians 3.23-29 3, 3, through 29 says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came and protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that Christ, the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you all are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Belongs to you. Folks, Jew, here, 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 here let, me, let me sum that up. Jews need Jesus. Slaves, you all need Jesus. Male, you all need Jesus. Females, you all need Jesus. Greeks, you all need Jesus. Free people, you all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Stop trying to live by the old ways, Galatians. Stop it. Instead, realize that in Christ, we are now one new group with Jesus. You know, the word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible. Paul uses it. Before Paul, it was never used. But Paul uses the word in Christ and in Him and in the Beloved, those three phrases to to describe Christians, 216 times in his 13 letters. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Through the Holy Spirit, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Peter Williams has said, Union with Christ gives human beings a radically new identity. We have to put off the old self, the old humanity, and we have to put on the new. Listen. Listen. Social sciences in this world today say that identity is from two things. One is me individually, and two is my group. But Christians' identity is different. We say that is false. Here is how our identity happens. It begins and ends with Jesus. That is our new group. That is the group we belong to. Christ is for you, he is in you, and he is through you. Positionally, our position is we are in Christ. And practically, Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. If you do not know Jesus this morning, know Him. Talk to Him. Spend time with Him. Read God's, read, read God's Word. Pray. Talk to me. Talk to an elder. Talk to anybody that loves Jesus for a long time. You all need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. Seth Tyler needs Jesus. Don, my friend Donnie and his family need Jesus. That is our group, that is our people, that is our identity. Is Jesus. The main thing, the main thing. It's all about him.